right, good morning. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17. Remember, we're in our, our lesson on David, 1 Samuel 17. Can anybody tell me something from last week's lesson? That's, a, that's always a dangerous question. Because <laughs> it means it wasn't uh, important enough to remember or I didn't do a good enough job explaining it. Does anybody, can anybody tell me something from last week's lesson that we talked about? Um, it's, remember, it's going to be the first lesson in our series, so it's kind of, kind of introduction. Anything? That is the, in my opinion, the key takeaway. God was preparing him <clears throat> for what he was going to have him do later in his life. So we talked a lot about that. We're not going to do a whole bunch of review because we're short on time anyways. And I'm going to take my phone out because I don't know which one of these clocks is on. I think they're both just a touch fast on purpose. Um, today we're going to talk about <clears throat> David daring to take on his giants. Now the whole thing is facing your giants. The whole series is about facing your giants. But this one is the particularly is on uh, David when he actually faced Goliath. So 1 Samuel 17, we're going to start in verse 45. 1 Samuel 17, 45. The Bible says, Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the field, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Verse 47, And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth, not with the sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. We're going to talk about David's battle here with Goliath today, but let's pray and then we'll get into the lesson. Father, I thank you again for this opportunity we have to uh, gather around your word, to meet in this place, God, this place that you've given us um, uh, miraculously. And I pray that you would just help us as we open your word, that we would um, understand what you have for us from it today. And God, that you would just help us to take these lessons uh, from the life of David. Uh, God, he was... As we learned last week, a man after your own heart. But God, he did a lot of things in his life that, that led him to that point, And uh, a lot of things during his life that uh, proved that he was, uh, had the heart, your heart. God, he faced this giant, uh, Goliath, because he was uh, mocking you and cursing you. And he stood up to him. God, I pray as we go through this lesson that you'd help us to uh, have that same heart that David had to face the, the giants in this world that are uh, opposing you, and uh, God, that you would use us. I pray that our hearts would be right so you can use us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
We're going to talk about David facing Goliath today. Now, last week, we, we had mentioned um, that there is no small task in God's eyes, right? There's nothing small uh, about what you're doing in your service for him in his eyes. Everything is, if it's service for him, it's, it's a big deal. But um, I wrote this down. There is no small task in the eyes of God, but when he asks us to take on something bigger in our eyes... We must obey with the confidence that if he is calling us to the task, he can give us the ability to accomplish it. I think what happens sometimes is in God's eyes, no task is too small. But he prepares us, as we talked about last week, for these bigger tasks. Um, imagine uh, if, you're, if, if you started a new job at work, even if it's the same company or whatever. But start a new job and they said, your boss said, you got this. Go out on your own and figure it out. You can, you can take care of it. And you have no idea what you're doing. They would never do that, right? And God doesn't do that to us either. He prepares us with small things, small battles, little, little fights that we have to overcome, little temptations, little trials, uh, preparing us for the time when he has something bigger for us that we can, we can accomplish that task. And he never uh, sends us out to do that task without equipping us for what he's going to have us do. Um, Christians usually have no problem with the small tasks. Uh, and this is true in, in my life even. Um, I used to have, so I told you last week we used to run the, run the bus route in Indiana. Uh, when I was coming up, working in the bus route before I actually ran my own bus, I had no problem you know, getting a treat prepared on Saturday for the kids on Sunday. Uh, I had no problem going out and visiting the families on Saturday. Uh, no problem cleaning the bus. No problem doing the small tasks. But when all of a sudden the bus captain would say, uh, and, and surely this was his way of preparing us for later, but he would, you know, a little issue that a family had on the bus route or something like that, and he would say, uh, hey, these kids were bad last Sunday. I want you to go ahead and go tell the parents they can't come to church next week. Because, and the parents knew that going forward, they or coming into it, they knew uh, what we would do is if the kids were, I mean, not just disobedient or, or a little bit naughty, but if they were really disruptive in class or something like that, we would tell them, you got to sit out for a week uh, because you're there to learn. And if it would happen again, and, and typically you'd be surprised how some of these uh, parents wanted their kids to go to church. They wouldn't go, but they wanted their kids to go to church on Sunday. So it was a big deal to them when their kids would diso uh, misbehave. And he would send us to go tell the parents they can't come to church this Sunday. And uh, that was always a difficult conversation. Um, but it was those kind of things. And I don't think that's a big task, but it prepared me for later when I was running a bus and I had to, you know, tell, or, or parents would, uh, I had this one time on a Sunday, the, the whole family had started coming to church. That We started off with the kids and we would visit them every Saturday for, one, for a very specific reason. It wasn't to give them a Bible verse or to ask them if they were coming on Sunday. You could do that over the phone. The reason we would go out is we would try to get into the homes, talk to the parents, and get them to come, start coming out to church, see them saved, and, and see this whole family start coming to church. That was the goal behind going out on Saturdays uh, for bus visitation is what we called it. And I went to a home one time, and I won't tell the whole story, but this family had started coming to church, and for like the last two or three weeks, the parents had stopped coming. They were still sending the kids, but they had stopped coming, and they were really starting, they had gotten saved, and they were really starting to grow. 
So I went by there on Saturday and they said, uh, oh, we're having issues in our marriage is what it was. And uh, they were legitimate issues. The, the husband was um, getting into some stuff that he obviously shouldn't have. The wife was very upset about it. And, and they kind of figured, why come to church if, if we're dealing with this? And I was, I was, I don't even think I was married yet. So I was probably 21 years old and I get to deal with this situation. Um, and I ended up out there on a Sunday night after church. They called and said, can you come out here and talk with us? And it was a lot. It was not as calm as that when they asked me to come out. Um, but I went out there on a Sunday night, and I was out there till probably 1030 at night trying to work through these issues with this family. That, to me, was, is a big issue, a big task that I had at 21 years old. I had to figure it out. But thankfully, you know, my bus captain had let me into those situations a little bit to try to prepare me for that. That's what God does for us as Christians. He's never just going to throw us out there. You don't, you're a brand new Christian. You don't know God's word. You don't know anything, what you're supposed to do. And he throws you out there to, you know, go evangelize the world. That's not what he does to us. But what he does do is he'll put somebody in your path at work and say, hey, I want you to witness to them. I know you don't really know what you're, what you're supposed to say, but you almost can't mess this up. Tell them what happened to you. Tell them what you did. And when we do that, it, it gives us a little bit of confidence that, hey, that wasn't so bad, right? And then eventually, God may ask us to do something big. He may ask us to become a preacher. He may ask us to tell our testimony in a, in a service or something like that. But he leads us up to those points. So first thing we're going to look at with David is the challenge that David faced and the cause. Um, and... This lesson, this whole lesson was written in 2013. This, this um, curriculum was written in 2013. So it, it's a lot of stuff that is uh, that applicable to us today, but it wasn't written around this whole virus and, and social justice and all the rest of that. But it all applies. And I was telling Sarah last night, uh, she was reading Psalm chapter 18. And uh, you can go back and look at it later. And But, uh, but she was reading it out loud to Emma, and I was sitting there, and, and afterwards we, uh, she said, man, that is so relevant to what's going on in the world today. And, I, and actually on the way here this morning, I said, I think it's always relevant. It's, the Bible is always relevant to us. It's always been relevant. Why do we not see it until we're in the middle of a crisis? And I think that's sometimes why God puts us through these things to say, hey, I'm here, I'm trying to teach you all this time, but you, you don't see it, you don't understand what I'm trying to teach. Let me put this big trial in your way so that you'll actually open your eyes and realize that God's word is relevant to us today, every part of it. But David took on this challenge. 1 Samuel chapter 17, just a few verses back in 20, verse 26, says, And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, what shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine? Now, this is David after he's uh, sent to the uh, place of battle to give his brothers food. And, and uh, he hears Goliath cursing God and mocking God. And he hears, remember, Goliath came out several times a day to do this. So David hears him in verse seven, uh, chapter 17, verse 26 is when, uh, is after that he heard Goliath cursing his God. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, what shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. 
It's interesting. I don't think David was saying, what, what's, what is the guy that kills him? What did he get? You know, what kind of reward? I don't think he was actually uh, asking that. I think more or less he was saying, why is nobody stepping up? Is it that bad? Is, that, is it that big a deal? Have you been told not to by Saul? And it wasn't the fact at all. They were all scared, and we see that uh, later in the passage. But Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And he, uh, well, the end of that verse, end of verse 28 says, I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. Thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. Eliab gets mad at his brother for questioning why nobody's doing anything about this, this wicked Philistine. But David steps up to the challenge, um, and I wrote this down as well. Remember at the end of the lesson last week, we said there's nothing wrong with asking why. Do you remember that? Right at the end. There's nothing wrong with asking why. We said there is something wrong with asking why me? Why do, you have, why do I have to go through this? But nothing wrong with asking why. That's how we learn what God's trying to uh, teach us. No doubt David was asking why when the lion and the bear attacked his sheep. Now he sees a little of God's plan and reason. I mean, he brings that up when he's talking to uh, Saul. He says, Saul says, you, you can't face this, this giant. And David maybe thinks back in his mind and says, I think I can face this giant. And he tells Saul about the time he faced the bear and he faced the lion. And he says, and God helped him to defeat those. He was not saying, I, I am a fierce warrior. I can take on this, this giant. He was telling Saul, I have God on my side, and he has proved that to me several times. I can do this. So he steps up to this challenge. There's lots of men a lot older and a lot more experienced than him in that army. Um, and that's, that's also the thing. God doesn't always use the most talented, the most gifted. Remember when David was anointed, Samuel immediately thought, Certainly, it's got to be Eliab. He's tall, he's handsome, he's strong. It's got to be the next king. And, and God said, no. Uh, man looks on the outward appearance, but I look on the heart. And God uses David because he has been preparing David for this time all along. Um, and, and there's a phrase in here, David's heart was stirred as he heard the blasphemy and defiance issuing from the mouth of this challenging Philistine. How often... Uh, I was thinking about this week as I this this week as I was studying. How often does uh, your heart get stirred up when you hear your God's name taken in vain, or is it so normal? And I know I'm not saying you take His name in vain, but is, do we hear it so often that we don't even think twice about it anymore? Uh, I had a youth pastor. Actually, y'all know him, Mr. Ramus. Eric Ramus was just here uh, a few weeks ago with the College Ensemble, and uh, he. I don't know if I ever heard somebody use God's name as a curse word that he didn't confront them. And he wouldn't holler and scream at them. He wouldn't say, you don't say that, that offends me. He wouldn't say anything like that. But if somebody used God's name in vain, he would say, it's not his fault. And they'd say, what? He'd say, it's not God's fault. Why are you blaming God? And, and I mean, these are people in the world and they'd be so confused. But it made the point. Stop, stop using God's name as a curse word. David, here's this giant uh, here's Goliath cursing God's name, and he stands up to him. He says, who, who is this gi giant that he can just blaspheme God and nobody says anything about it? John F. Kennedy said this, great crises produce great men and great deeds of courage. 
You wonder why in the, in the world wars there's so many stories of these great heroes, these great leaders. A lot of them were not. They didn't come into the war or into these battles as great heroes. But these great battles that they got into produced great heroes. And I think that sometimes God is putting Christians through these great trials to produce leaders, to produce uh, people he can use in the future. He's not putting you through uh, you know, this trial of cancer to beat you down and, and you know, destroy your health for the rest of your life. That's not why he's doing it. He puts us through these trials so that we can emerge as people of God, strong people of God, that know what it, what it is to be tested and come out on the other side stronger. Um, but but uh, we've said this, and I won't beat a dead horse, but God, God brings challenges into our lives to prepare us for the challenges for future opportunities that he's going to put in our life if we can get through them. Uh, and what I mean by that is he challenges us in small ways now so that when he puts a big opportunity in front of us, which will be a, a challenge, we, can, we, we see it coming, we expect it, we know what to do, uh, and we can face and overcome those challenges. There's a, a John, I'm going to say his name wrong, but Havacek was a basketball player, but played for the Boston Celtics. And I, I recognize his name, and I think it's Havacek. Um, but anyways, he, as a young boy, so over the course of his career, they estimate that uh, average, through all the games that he played, he averaged about six miles per game, just running around. He never stopped, never stopped moving. Um, you see some guys like that now. They're always moving, looking for a pass, or always running in there for the rebounder. They estimated that he averaged six miles a game when he played a basketball game. And so uh, a... Um, Reporter asked him one time, where, what do you do for training? Where does this stamina come from? And he said, growing up, uh, I never owned a bike my entire childhood. My parents were poor, they, I never had a bike. And he said, so when my friends would ride their bikes into town, I ran alongside next to them. And he said, I guess I just developed this ability to run and run and run and run. And, and that's kind of a silly example when it comes to our Christian lives, but that's what God does for us. He teaches us, he prepares us for what he's going to put in our way uh, in the future. Um, I wrote this down. Maybe a previous trial, God is pre in a previous trial, God is preparing you for what's going on in this world. But we failed to meet and pass that test. And we squandered our time of preparation in order to feel sorry for ourselves instead. Sometimes when we're going through a trial, why me? Why is God putting me through this? And we squander that opportunity to have been preparing for what God had for us in the future. And then God brings that up in the future, and we can't handle it because we're not ready because we were feeling sorry for ourselves when he put us through that trial. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, There hath no temptation... And pastor preached a, a message not too terribly long ago that the, this temptation that's being talked about is not a, a temptation to sin. It's a trial. It's another word for trial. So we'll replace that. There hath no trial taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted or tried, above that you are able, but will with the temptation or trial make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. He's never going to put us through something we can't. Uh, get through if we look to him and put our trust in him. He's never going to put us through that. And all those trials you're going through, it says they're common to man. Everybody goes through those. 
maybe not to the degree that you're going through. Uh, everybody doesn't get cancer. Everybody doesn't have, you know, loved ones die in a car accident or something like that. But it's common. Every, other people have gone through it. And if we uh, respond to it correctly and we get through it, God's going to use that in the future, um, preparing us for what he, he has for us. Uh, so that was, so secondly, we're going to look at David being zealous for this cause. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 28. That's where we just finished on the last point, but first, verse 28. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou, thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And verse 29, David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? He's basically saying, you're mad at me. Why aren't you mad at this giant? There is a reason that I have stepped up and said something. David was zealous uh, about serving his God. Um, and there's a lot of examples in, in the Old Testament. Jehu, I, I love the story of Jehu. When he comes to the palace and he sees um, uh, Jezebel up in the window and, he's, and he tells the men, throw her down. And then he, Jehu was a zealous man of God. And in, in 2 Kings verse 10, chapter 10, verse 16, he says, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. He wasn't ashamed of it. There's nothing wrong with being zealous for God. And David was excited uh, about serving God, but it wasn't a, uh, a, a proud zeal or a uh, misplaced zeal. He was um, excited and passionate about defending his God. It wasn't even just serving him. He was defending uh, God when he fought, uh, fought Goliath. So um, do we, this is a good question to ask ourselves, do we truly have zeal to help further the work of God or zeal to help the people of God? And can people see our zeal for the Lord? Um, you know, there's something to I think, I think more so in the world, somebody that's kind of even keeled and they never get too excited, they never get too down in the dumps. People like to see somebody, like, they like to see that in a leader or a ma in management or something like that. But when it comes to God's work, God tells us we need to be zealous. We don't need to, yeah, there's a lot of people out there dying, not saved and going to hell. I'm not going to get too discouraged because that's the way this world's going. That's not the way God wants a Christian to be. He wants us to be zealous for it, just in serving him. He wants us to be zealous in helping others grow and, and zealous in, in uh, helping other people um, get that zeal for God. That's why preachers get up and they scream and holler and, and Bible talks about it being the fool it's foolishness to this world, uh, the foolishness of preaching. But they're trying to stir up a fire inside of us to get us excited about serving God. Um, there's a newspaper called The Liberator, and it was started by abolitionist William Lloyd Garrison. This was in the first issue of his newspaper, and, and uh, I, can, I can imagine his feelings um, with what we're going through today as far as, because me and Sarah talk about this all the time, what can we do, what can we do right now? Um, vote different people in, that's down the road. That's not right now. What can we do uh, in our world to, to help things turn around? And I think more than anything, what we can do is be real Christians, uh, be good testimonies. And what I mean by that is not always witnessing. We definitely need to do that. But they need to see that 
a, a Christian testimony, we're not shook, completely shook up and our life is uh, turned upside down and we don't know what to do. We know what to do. We have peace uh, through Christ Jesus. We, we have a peace that he knows what's going on. And that's the testimony I'm talking about. But this is what he said in the first issue of his newspaper. On this subject, speaking of slavery, I do not wish to think or speak or write with moderation. No, no. Tell a man whose house is on fire to give a moderate alarm. Tell him to moderately rescue his wife from the hands of a ravisher. Tell the mother to gradually extricate her babe from the fire into which it has fallen. But urge me not to use moderation in a cause like the present. I am in earnest. I will not equivocate. I will not excuse. I will not retreat a single inch, and I will be heard. And that's just in, a, in, the, in the issue of slavery. What about us Christians? We have thousands dying every single day. And I know we don't know all these people. We can't witness to every one of them. But we have thousands dying every day. Uh, lost, on their way to hell. We have a world falling to pieces around us. Or a country falling to pieces around us. Uh, that was once a Christian nation. And... I try not to get on Facebook too much because it can be discouraging, but you see Christians all around. Very, very moderate, just in a daze almost, not worried about it at all. Uh, we're, and, and there's a difference between being a patriot and being a Christian, and you can be both. Um, but I think often Christians try to separate it and say it's not our issue as Christians to uh, go fight against what's going on in the world, but it is in a way. Um, but anyway, David was zealous. He was zealous. Um, I wrote this down. Have you ever let someone at work know? Oh, I already talked about that. Uh, that, that taking the name of, of your God as a curse word is offensive. And uh, I've done it at work. Actually, I'll, I'll give you a quick story. I just So I just started a new job two weeks ago. And same, same uh, company, but a different position. And I was... I was out working with this contractor crew on, I think it was Tuesday. So I had just started with this new crew on Monday. So I worked with them Monday and then Tuesday. And, and it doesn't take long for them to start getting comfortable around you once they know who you are. They know you're not going to try getting them in trouble and all the rest of that. Well, this guy's uh, in the ditch putting, putting a piece of pipe together. And he says, you want to hear a joke? And immediately I'm always like, man, <laughs> probably not. So he tells a joke. I said, you're probably going to tell it anyways, right? And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's kind of, kind of a silly guy. And uh, so he tells a joke, and it wasn't filthy, but it was definitely not a clean joke. And, and I said, hmm, I didn't really laugh, didn't anything. So the other guy was, was with him. And we get back to where we're setting the meter and, you know, getting that all together. And he says, uh, are you religious or something? I said, why do you ask that? He said, uh, well... I told that joke and you didn't think it was funny. I said, "Yeah, I don't really I don't really like those kind of jokes, you know, whatever." I said, "Yes, I am I am a Christian." And I said, "Actually, 5 years ago I moved here to help my brother start a Baptist church." And he apologized and apologized. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. There is a way to go about letting people know. I have a testimony. I am a Christian. I I am trying to be a witness for him without being rude and, you know, and obnoxious. Uh, but we need to let people know. If you just if you laugh at the joke because you don't want to offend him, what what good did that do? Now he doesn't know, and he might find out six months from now. And what 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 is the testimony then when he realizes, man, 
all the things I've said in the last six months, and he never said a word. He laughed at him even. You know, what kind of Christian is that? So there's nothing wrong with standing up for what you believe. There's nothing wrong with letting people know you're offended. The world does it. The world is so offended by religion. You can't talk about it. You can't say anything about religion. Uh, that's not inclusive. All the rest of that. Then why can't Christians let the world know when something offends us? Um, and like I said, you don't have to be obnoxious about it. I'm offended and go, you know, uh, put signs at work saying that don't use God's name in vain and stuff like that. But you can let them know and they will respect it, uh, usually. So David was zealous. But David had courage and confidence as well. And we're going to look real quickly where that courage and where that confidence came from. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 34. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. Verse 37, David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. David had <clears throat> this courage, but it wasn't a courage in himself. Uh, it, was, it was a courage because he knew the presence of God was on his life. Um, if we go out and you know that you haven't been in your Bible like you should, you know you haven't been praying like you should, you know you haven't been uh, living your Christian testimony like you should, and if, you're, if you know anything about uh, being a Christian, God can't hear our prayers when we're allowing sin in our lives, right? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Um, we know when we go out to face a trial that we don't have God's presence. He is not present in our life when we're uh, in, in that situation. David knew and had this uh, outstanding courage because he knew of God's presence in his life. Verse 37 says, The Lord delivered me that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. He, he had very, all of his courage came from knowing the presence of God was in his life. Um, and I wrote this down too. Sometimes it's not a bad thing to testify even to the unsaved of the great things God has done. Zeal is contagious, and even when the world is drawn to this zeal, and even the world is drawn to this zeal, which in turn can draw them to Christ. Um, and so I have an example of this too, and I, I think I've mentioned this before, but I came into, before the whole virus happened, we used to have a Monday morning meeting. Every other Monday, the whole field operations would come together on Monday morning, and we would, uh, so every other week, at 8 o'clock, we would meet, and we would talk about, you know, what's going on in the company, any changes to policy or anything like that. And I don't purposely walk around with a smile on my face, but I feel like I, sometimes I feel like I do smile a lot. And I walked into that uh, meeting, and one of the guys I know pretty well, he was, he's in management, said, uh, as soon as the, soon as the uh, meeting started, everybody's quiet, and he, get, and he said, they all call me Boots at work, he said, Boots, why don't you tell everybody what's so, what you're so happy about? It's Monday morning. And uh, my initial reaction is, you know, don't say anything. But I said, 
uh, I think it was actually after like our first service or something in this building. And I wasn't smiling in, in work because of that. But the joy of the Lord is, is supposed to be in our lives. And I said, actually, I do have something I'm really happy about. I said, you know, we started a church there in Short Pump about a year and a half ago. And we finally just got into a brand new building. And actually, three of the guys at work that were in that meeting were here at that. I said, you know, Thomas and Matt, and we were all up at the church um, uh, yesterday. And I didn't talk for long about it, but I, I told them what I was happy about. And he said, oh, all right. Anybody get, you know, he, he's trying to get me on something. But there's nothing wrong with letting the world know that you're zealous about what you're doing. Um, and I tell people all the time, because they, they ask, it's a perfect starter. Uh, they say, how long have you been in Virginia? And I tell them, you know, about five years. Oh, where'd you come from? Oh, what brought you here? And I tell them, I came here to help start a church. I did not come here for the job. I had no intentions of moving here. But we moved here, to st and then I get a chance to tell them. Uh, it's not always the perfect time to, you know, have a full-blown conversation about uh, salvation. But I get a chance to start that conversation with them. Uh, and they're not always uh, excited like I am to hear about it, but they, that zeal that they see draws them. It, tells them, it, it, it draws them in to say, man, he is, he is excited about what he's doing. They've never, sometimes never been excited about something like that uh, in their life. So uh, there's nothing wrong with testifying to the unsaved what God has done in your life, even if they don't understand it. Uh, they know that God is doing something in your life. Uh, and then we're going to move to the second point. David had confidence in God's power. Um, he had this courage and this confidence because he knew what God had done for him in the past. And we're going we're gonna to draw this to a close here in the next minute or two. Um, God's word says this, uh, whose faith followed. Uh, that was that was Paul actually. Paul said that he was he was talking about people in the church, the new churches that had been started, and he writes to one of the churches and he says, "You see these guys, follow their faith." But if we if we're never making it through a trial ourselves to get out on the other side to have a testimony to tell people, how can people follow that faith that that we, that they were supposed to be seeing in my life and following it? And I, I won't read the whole illustration, but you know the story of George Mueller. Um, when he prayed for breakfast, there was nothing on the table. You all know that story. And as soon as they finished praying, the milkman knocks on the door and says, hey, the, the, the cart just broke, and i got to get rid of this milk. Do you guys want it? Same thing with the bread, uh, bread guy, the guy, the baker. He actually stopped by and said, God told me last night, woke me up in the middle of the night, told me to bake bread for your orphanage. He prayed and thanked God for the food that they were about to eat with no food on the table to feed these hundreds of orphans. And that's the faith that people still follow today. Do people, are people able to see the faith in your life, to see you come through these trials and follow that and be encouraged by that? Um, and, and I probably should split this into two lessons and, and finish this next week, but I'm just going to uh, finish it quickly. Um, David had the right weapons. Um, often, I think in our churches, we're trying to, to use new weapons that are not tried, they're not uh, true, they're not from God, uh, you know, programs and this whole idea of unity among all religions and things like that, just so that we can get along. That's not what God tells us to do. 
God gives us his word. That is the weapon we should be using, and we need to know it. Uh, remember when David uh, got the armor from Saul, and he said, there's no way I'm going to be able to use this. I've never worn it. I'm, I've not proven it. And he uses his uh, weapons, the sling and the stone, and that's it. And God uses that to uh, defeat Goliath. God wants us to use his word, but we have to know it. And Hebrews 4, verse 12, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and it is a, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. But if we don't know how to use that weapon, it's completely ineffective to us, uh, which is why on Wednesday nights we are, are memorizing verses and trying to hide God's word in our hearts as we're commanded to do. Uh, but I'm going to close with this and then we'll be done. This familiar story, I wrote this down, should remind us that we still have a cause and that through God we can have both courage and conquest in our present battles. Uh, we have a cause to fight for. We're not on this earth to go to work and make money. We're not on this earth to uh, be leaders in our community. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not why we're here. We're here to raise our families, to raise the next generation, to follow after God, teach them to follow the faith that we've had, and then to, to witness and to see souls saved that we can bring to heaven with us. Uh, but we have to have courage in that, and we get that by facing the small trials now, and then we can be victorious in the battles that we're fighting uh, right now in, in this present day. All right, let's pray, and then we'll be uh, dismissed. You're ready for the for the morning service. Father, I thank you for this day you've given us. God, I thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for this very familiar story, but there's so much in it that we can learn from. God, I pray that you'd help us to uh, look to you and trust in you for the, the current situations that we're in, the current trials and, and temptations, and that we would be victorious in them, God, so that later when you call us to something bigger, we are prepared, we're ready and willing and able and zealous about serving you. Pray that you would bless this next hour. God, I pray that you would be with our pastor as he preaches, that you would speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.